My name is Brian, and I'm the lead pastor at Grand Valley Church. We hope that this message helps you explore faith and connect with Jesus. So we're continuing our series today called How to Be a Jesus Follower in 2020. And if you're just joining us today, I want to just recap where we've been. We started with a message from Andy Stanley called Don't Settle for Christian, about how Jesus called us to be his followers, not just to have the title or the label Christian. And then for the last two weeks, Vicki led us through this series talking about how do we be the church in an era where we're not able to physically gather together the way that we're used to. And then also she talked last week about choosing to get things right, choosing to be on a path of growth, and spent a bunch of time talking about how do we give and receive feedback well? How do we help each other grow in our faith? And so today, we're going to continue this series by talking about something that is really at the core and the heart of who we are as Jesus followers and one of the most kind of well-known teachings that Jesus gave. And so if you've been around Grand Valley for a while, this might feel familiar to you. But if you're new, if you're checking this out, or maybe someone sent you this YouTube video for you to watch, one of the things that I hope this does is, first of all, thank you for being here. But I hope that this maybe answers some questions you have about who Jesus is, who his followers are. What does it mean when someone says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus follower? I hope that you'll be able to learn something about that through this. And so one of the things that that I talk about quite often is recognizing that our faith is personal to who we are. How we put our trust in Jesus is often a deeply personal decision that we make. But our faith is never lived out in an isolated bubble. Even right now, where it might feel like some of us are living in a bubble, our faith always has an impact on the people around us. In fact, it can have a profound impact in the way that we choose to live our lives. In fact, Christianity has had such a huge impact on the world that, in fact, the last 2,000 years of history have all been shaped by Christianity in one way or another. In fact, this Jewish rabbi, who we know was God's son, who stepped into the world, who began to teach about this new way of understanding who God is. And he started gathering followers and people that, that hung on his teachings and were trying to figure out how do we live this out then 2,000 years ago. And every generation since has asked that question, how do we live this out for here and now and for today? But Jesus began this movement that has shaped history. In fact, after his death, he was executed because he was disrupting the status quo a little too much. But it was all part of his plan because he rose from the grave. And after his resurrection, there was about 120 followers that were gathered in Jerusalem trying to figure out what do we do now? And when the Holy Spirit came to them and the church started to grow, they started to act upon their faith. In three centuries, nearly one third of the Roman Empire had put their trust in Jesus because of those early followers and what they started. See, Christianity has shaped modern history, I think, more than anything else has. But the truth is, when we dig into this history, sometimes the effect of Christianity is beneficial to the world. But sometimes Christianity was wielded like a weapon and used to cause harm. And I don't think that we should erase or ignore those time periods of history. In fact, I think that we should dig into and learn about those time periods of history to say, how did that happen? How did our faith get kind of warped or turned or co-opted by whatever power it might have been at the time? Why was it used the way it was? 
But more than that, the question that always comes to mind when I look at history, and we're not going to spend a ton of time on history, just this little intro, is this. What's the difference? How can Christianity sometimes be helpful and sometimes be used to cause so much harm? And the answer to that, I think we find in one of the Gospels. And the Gospels are the accounts of Jesus' life. And one of them was written by a guy named Matthew, who was one of Jesus' closest followers. And Matthew, he records this event that happened near the end of Jesus' ministry when Jesus was having these regular interactions with groups known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were kind of like political groups of their day. They each had their, their perspective on how they should live out their faith, and they really didn't agree with each other on much. But one thing they agreed on was they did not like Jesus. And so when a group of Sadducees had come to Jesus and they asked him some questions and they were trying to trick him and trying to trap him and they couldn't do it, so the Pharisees and the Sadducees got together and they figured out, okay, how are we going to trap Jesus? And so Matthew 22, starting at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with his question. Teacher. Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And so when he talks about the law of Moses, he's talking about their Torah law, the 613 commandments that form the basis of Judaism. And they're hoping that what Jesus says, they're going to be able to somehow use against him. And so Jesus replies with this. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Nothing really controversial there. I mean, that's something the Pharisees and the Sadducees actually did agree with. You know, you should love God. This is a statement of devotion with all your heart, your soul, your mind, with everything you are. We should love God. But then Jesus says, it's the first and greatest commandment. And then Jesus goes on. He says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes one step further. He says, the entire law And all the demands of the prophets, all those 613 commandments, all the interpretations of those, all the messages that God gave to the people through prophets, all of those are based on these two commandments. Jesus took all of their law, all of the prophets, and pushed it together into two statements. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. Now Jesus summarizes this so much that the Pharisees and Sadducees actually didn't really know how to respond. In fact, this became such a core part of who Jesus is and his teachings and this understanding that his followers took this to heart. They said, well, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And sometimes we talk about this just in terms of, well, loving just means making people feel happy or, or loving is just about making people feel warm and fuzzy. But no, it's deeper than that. In fact, even the way that Jesus words this hints that there's something more. Because most of the law was written prohibitively, meaning the law was written in form of do not do that. You know, thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not steal. Those are do not. Those are prohibitive commandments. But Jesus phrases this in the permissive. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. The way that you want to be treated, that's the way you are to treat everyone else. This is a go and do, a permissive statement. Now, at times, I think this this permissive statement, this command, is what makes the difference between when Christianity is helpful and when it's harmful. 
Because when our faith is truly motivating us to love our neighbor as ourselves, our faith is beneficial. But when we lose sight of that, when we lose sight of this command to love our neighbors as ourselves, and, and maybe we only focus on the first part about loving God and devotion and doctrine and believing the right things about God, those things are all good. But when those become the only thing, sometimes we can start taking a path and a detour off of our faith. See, I believe that Christianity is at its best when our theology, that is our study of God, our, our collective knowledge and wisdom of who God is, when it leads us to view our faith as a journey of following Jesus instead of just agreeing with doctrinal statements, when we see this as a journey of each day thinking, how can I love my neighbor? How can I act the way that Jesus act? How can I walk and, and treat people the way that Jesus treated people? And in fact, I think this is reflected by what Andy talked about in the first message of this series when he said Jesus never invited anyone to become a Christian. He invited us to follow him. Jesus didn't invite us to a worldview or to a thought process or to a label or a title. He just invited people to follow him. And so if we want to take following Jesus seriously, loving God, learning scripture, learning doctrine, all those things, those are the easy parts. But loving our neighbors is a lot harder to do. In fact, I think that to genuinely love our neighbors, first we have to see ourselves as one part of a larger community. And I don't mean just a community of faith like a church. I mean the larger community as in seeing that our lives are entangled with the lives of our neighbors, our families, our friends, our coworkers, even our larger community of Brandon, our, our province, our country, even our world. The choices and the things that we do and say have ripple effects on the world way larger than any of us realize. And in fact, when we start seeing that, that we are interconnected, we start seeing the importance of loving one another so much more because if we choose to see ourselves as I am a complete individual, I am completely cut off from everyone else, nothing affects me, nothing I do affects others, well, then we have the freedom to do absolutely anything we want. But when we start seeing the way that our actions have effects on other people, we start to realize we are responsible for how the way we carry ourselves affects a larger community. In fact, this is something that Jesus, sorry, that God was trying to drive home all throughout the entire Old Testament. In fact, the entire Old Testament is the story of God's people of this group of people, these descendants of Abraham that God chooses and gathers together and he protects and he guides and he leads them. But it's all in service of what he knows is going to come next. It's all in service of this time when Jesus is going to enter into the world and Jesus is going to build on everything that's happened before that. But up till that point, and these are passages that we can still learn from that are still deeply applicable to us today, even though they're part of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament is there these passages and this thread time and time again where God talks about what he wants. And it isn't just devotion. It isn't just acting religious. It isn't just saying the right things. In fact, what God wants is summarized in passages like this one from Micah 6.8, where it says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. When it says to do what is right, it says, 
Uh, a lot of translations will say that, to act with justice. These are pieces, justice, being right, loving mercy, walking humbly. These are all ways of describing showing love. These are all descriptions of what it means to love one another. And then the prophet Isaiah, he is one of the most prolific prophets in the Old Testament. There's lots of writings from Isaiah. And he had this unique role of being a prophet right before the nation of Israel was about to get conquered. And the people were fearful because they knew this was coming. And the people started asking these questions about saying, why isn't God protecting us? Why isn't God driving these invaders away, this, this threat from a distant land that's coming? Why isn't God protecting us? And they're saying to, to Isaiah and the prophets saying, you know, we're doing the things we're supposed to. We're, we're fasting. We're acting righteously. We're, we're praying. We're going to the temple. We're doing the sacrifices, all these things. But God gives Isaiah this message. And I'm just going to read one verse of it, of a larger passage from Isaiah 58. He says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. God is saying to his people through Isaiah, this is the type of devotion I want. I don't care about your sacrifices. What I want is for you to act with love, with justice, with humility, to end oppression, to remove things that bind people, lighten the load on the people that work for you. This type of belief, this type of practice became catalyzed by the early church. They took Jesus' command to say, love your neighbor as yourself, and they looked back at their scriptures, their Old Testament, and said, that's what all this was leading towards. And so the early church acted in some phenomenally fascinating ways. In fact, the radical inclusivity of the early church threatened Roman's class system that was built on slavery to such a great extent that a lot of the reasons for the early persecution of the church by the Roman Empire was because they thought that they were going to flip the whole nation upside down. Because the church was the only place in society where people of multiple classes, where people who were free and people who were slaves, were, would come together and be united as one. In fact, the early followers of Jesus took this command as instructions, and they were creating a radically different society. In fact, in those days, in the first century, if you were a Roman citizen, you lived in the Roman Empire, and let's say you had a baby that you didn't want. You said, you know, we already have enough mouths to feed. We can't handle one more. What they would do in the first century is they would take that infant, that baby, and if it was below a certain age, this was permissible. You could go outside the city, you could go to the forest, you could put that baby down by the, the roots of a tree and walk away, and you were not considered responsible for that life anymore. And so followers of Jesus looked at that and said, this isn't right. And so followers of Jesus started to go out and they would find those children. And they started orphanages, they started raising them as their own because they said, this is what love requires of us. And then in the church, the, church, the early church had men and women learning together side by side. That was not something that was permitted anywhere else in the first century. The church was the leader in that. In fact, the way that the church was living out their faith was so radically different, it threatened Rome. And that's why people looked at Christians kind of weird. They said, what are, what's with these Jesus follower peoples? 
why are they so different? Why are they so radical? Why are they so loving? And it would lead people to ask questions about who Jesus is. But here's something that the early church understood deeply. They understood that genuine love always has a cost. To show genuine love for someone else always costs us something. It always has something that we are paying and spending of ourselves to show love to one another. To go and rescue an infant means you are expanding your household and you've got more mouths to feed, more lives to take care of. And they took that on because they believed in how important it was. See, in fact, when we think about this, that genuine love always has a cost, we must realize that sometimes we have to set aside our selfishness, our convenience, our entitlement, and sometimes even our rights to show that someone else matters to us. Because that someone else matters to God. We have, one of the things that I am grateful for in our country is we have the right to freedom of speech. We can say whatever we want. We can criticize whoever we want. We can criticize the government. We can criticize political leaders. We can criticize religion. We can speak freely about it. But we don't have the right to assume that everything we say is going to be correct. And in fact, sometimes we choose to lay down our rights of saying, no, I'm going to hold my tongue instead of saying what I think I want to say. Because I actually want to listen more. See, one of the easiest ways to show love to someone is to show attentiveness, to listen to what they have to say. So choosing sometimes to bite your own tongue, to say, even though I have the right to speak freely in this moment, my right doesn't actually mean they have to listen. But I can choose to listen to people. In fact, right now, we're living in a time period where, and I've talked about this before in our online services, that our public health leaders are asking us to live our lives differently for the sake of protecting people who are vulnerable. Now, we have the right to ignore that. Now, in the case of the public health orders, it comes with a fine. And we might say, well, it's my right to not do that. You could be right on that, and maybe you want to take that to the Supreme Court and challenge it. But genuine love, showing love for our neighbors right now, looks like taking things seriously looks like being careful with hand hygiene. Maybe it means being careful even with wearing a mask when we're out in public if we don't know. I, uh, you might be able to tell by my voice, I'm a little raspy right now, and I'm the only one at the building. No one else is around here when I'm recording our online service. But a week and a half ago, I went to go get tested for COVID. My test came back negative. I was very grateful for that. It was just a normal common cold that I'm still got a little bit of a raspy voice from. Now, I hadn't been out much before I got sick. But the whole time that I was waiting those three days, between when I got tested to when I got the result, I just kept thinking, where did I go? And making a list of like, okay, if they're going to ask me where I've been, did I remember to use hand sanitizer every time? And I choose to wear a mask when I'm out in public. That's my personal choice because I believe the data says that it is good. And, and I was thinking about, you know, at least I know that the only time I did go out before I got sick, I was wearing a mask. And that was a piece of comfort of saying, I was doing the thing that maybe it feels inconvenience and maybe it fogs up my glasses a bit, but I was choosing to do that out of an act of love. And I'm not trying to make myself sound high and mighty and important in that. I'm just trying to use this as an example 
that sometimes we have to lay down our rights. Sometimes we need to set aside our convenience if we're going to actually show what love is to one another. Andy Stanley has this way of always putting it where he asks this question. He says, what does love require of you? And for me, I think about that a lot. What does love require of me? Well, in this moment, it means I'm being really careful about limiting my contact with people because I'm sick and I'm, I'm over it. I've got this last little bit of raspy voice, but for the last couple of weeks, I really haven't done much of anything. I've been home. Our kids have been home. My wife works from home. We've just been home because that's what love requires of us now. So why does this all matter? Because when followers of Jesus, when people like me and you, when we get loving our neighbors right, when we treat this well, Christianity becomes an overwhelming force for good in our world. In fact, I believe that as the church, we should be the foremost leaders in keeping people safe in this time period. We should be the foremost leaders in keeping people safe all the time. In fact, there's a reason why so many organizations that are focused on ending trafficking, ending slavery, ending abuse, abuse ending human rights abuses are Christian organizations that were founded by Jesus followers who looked at the world and said, we got to do better than this. Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a second reason why this gets so important, is that when followers of Jesus are known for showing love, it allows us to speak with a credibility when we tell people about who Jesus is and how much he loves them. When people look at Jesus' teachings, and then they look at our lives and say, yeah, those match up. That gives us credibility to speak in a way that is so important. And so I want to encourage you to ask, what does love require of me? When Jesus was questioned about what's the most important commandment, he said, love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. And a second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So, church, how will we love your neighbor as, as yourself? How will you treat people the way you want to be treated? How can we set an example? How can we demonstrate who God's love is by how we act? That's what it means to be a Jesus follower in 2020. In fact, that's what it means to be a Jesus follower, period. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for how deeply you love us and how your love for us becomes part of the inspiration for how you want us to be your hands and feet and reveal love to our world. And so God, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would put opportunities in front of us where we can show love to one another, where we can choose to go the extra mile to show to someone how important they are to you. And God, I pray that that would enable us to have better conversations about oppression, about oppression, about racism, about slavery, about injustice. I pray that we would be able to talk about these things deeply, to search ourselves and see where we may have parts of those that need, that need your love to correct and shape. And Lord, may we be an incredible force for your goodness in this world. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us online. I hope that if you have questions or comments or you want to have a conversation about anything that you heard in this service or any of our other online services, uh, would you click the link in the description below and fill out our online connect card? I'd love to get in touch with you and have a conversation, probably email back and forth or have a video chat to be able to talk about these things together. So I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you know of someone that would benefit from hearing the message you just listened to, would you do us a favor and share this podcast with them? And while you're at it, please consider subscribing to be the first to hear when our podcast is updated. If you want to join in on Sundays, our services are streaming online at 11 a.m. Central. To find out more about our church, go to mygrandvalley.ca and you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.